So 2 Peter. So what we've been doing on Wednesday nights is we have been going through a different book of the Bible every Wednesday night. So we started in Genesis, it felt like maybe 10 years ago, and we've been working our way every single single Wednesday night, and uh, we've just been taking a book every Wednesday night. And it's not always the most in-depth, and it's not always the most concise, but the idea, the goal is, is to just get a feel for why the books are there, what the books mean, what the books tell us about the Bible, and how they fit in the overall the story of Scripture, and maybe what is there in the book or the letter that is something that you and I can glean from and apply to our lives today. So, told you from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation, that is all Scripture that is still sufficient for our lives and still has a place in our lives today. And so sometimes people think, oh, you get over the Old Testament and that stuff's the Old Testament, we don't have to worry about that, it doesn't have any relevance. Who cares about the Old Testament? The Old Testament still matters. The Old Testament is why we need a Savior. If you had no Old Testament, you would have no law, and you would have no reason for Jesus to come, and therefore we'd all be hopelessly headed for hell without the knowledge of why we needed a Savior, and why we need saving. So um, that's what we've been doing on Wednesday nights. So we are here in Second Peter. So if you keep going to your right, you'll know that we don't have that many more weeks left in this, uh, this study that we've been on, and we'll be pivoting after that. So 2 Peter is where we're at. Now last week when we were talking about 1 Peter, we talked about the author, that being Peter. We get that in in chapter 1 and verse 1 of both 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We talked about how that most likely he was in Rome waiting uh, persecution or maybe even execution at the hands of Nero the emperor. And so most likely he wrote 1 Peter somewhere around 64-66 AD. So we're going to date 2 Peter around 67 AD. So it was just a kind of a sequel, if you will, on what he wrote in 1 Peter. Then we also talked last week about in um, 1 Peter he is writing to not just a single town and not just a single church, but he is writing to a geographical area. So the area that if you look on your map is what is modern day Turkey at that time was a series of different Roman provinces. So if you look at a map of Oklahoma and you'll see how many how many counties are in Oklahoma? 77. So you'll have 77 different counties. And so if you look at a biblical map of what is modern day Turkey, you would see these different Roman provinces. And so as he's writing there, and we get this all the way back in 1 Peter 1, he's writing to these different Roman provinces, but he is writing to not only Jewish Christians, but he's writing to Gentile Christians. And so he's writing to kind of an open letter to the church of that big geographical area, and he's writing to encourage them, this is how you live as Christian. And so last week in 1 Peter, we were talking about these instructions that he gave them. Tonight, we're going to look at a little bit of a different angle when it comes to 2 Peter. Has anybody ever been stuck before in the road or in the ditch? Well, not in life. I'm talking about like in a vehicle. Like you're stuck in a vehicle. So years ago, Jaylene and I were dating, and I know she's around the corner, so I know she can hear me. Years ago, we were dating, and I lived in Stillwater, and she lived south of Enid, and I am taking her own home one night, and it's kind of rainy, it's dark, and on the way home, we were listening to Casey Kasem's 
top 40 countdown. Remember that? Yeah. Remember that? Taylor's probably the only one that doesn't remember that, that era of music, okay? So we're listening to it. We're driving down there. We're listening to it. And we get to her parents' house. They live on a dirt road. We get to her parents' house, and we're like on song number four or number three. That's three. That's four. Song like four or number three. And so I'm, we think to ourselves, hey, let's just keep driving around, and let's get to number one. Let's hear what the number one song is. So you got to get this in your head. <laughs> See, that's, that's, that. see, this is where we're going, okay? So, Stillwater's over here, Jaylene and her parents live here, and so now we're driving here. So we're going, and we get about three miles away, and when you get out there in that part of Oklahoma, they don't believe in gravel, and they don't believe in drainage. All they do is believe in just flat, I mean, it's like red soup, clay, shell, nasty as could be. So, it's raining, we're driving. And I get like two miles past Jaylene's house, and I'm in the ditch, and I'm stuck. And now I'm panicked, because I know how this looks, and I know how this sounds, and I'm in a bind. So Jaylene says, oh, no big deal. I've got a friend. They can come pull us out. And I'm like, that's great, because I'd really like to drop you off and not have to address this with your father. So, friend comes, the friend gets stuck. <laughs> so, now the question is what you want to do. Now, my idea was I was just going to sleep in my truck and uh, just, no, no, no. So, I end up asleep on the couch in my in-law's living room. And I wake up the next morning. And my, so like, if Taylor's the calf, my father-in-law is sitting in his easy chair just staring at me. (laughs) And he looks at me with a grin and he said, oh, so you got stuck last night, huh? (laughs) So what I think about that is, you know, sometimes in our Christian life, we can get stuck. And I'm not just talking about getting stuck in a vehicle. I'm talking about where you get stuck in a Christian life or where you're, where you're moving in a certain direction. The next thing you know, you just feel like you're just spiritually in a rut. You're spiritually dry. And it seems like you try to pray more and that doesn't work. It seems like you try to maybe read your Bible more and that doesn't work. It seems like you say, well, I'll listen to Christian music more and that doesn't work. Or you think, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to not do? Or what do I need to start doing? But you know when you're stuck spiritually. So the question is, is so what do you do when you're stuck spiritually? Well, 2 Peter is going to write about, and, and you, can, you can look at it from different angles. So I'm not saying this is the only angle that you can come, at, for, come to this letter from. But what we're going to look at tonight is the angle of Peter saying, this is what you do when you get stuck spiritually. And it's going to happen. If you live long enough as a Christian on this earth, you're going to experience the close times to God, and you're going to experience the distant times for God. And you're going to go up and down, up and down. And every time you get on the high point, you're like, oh, this is awesome. I don't want this to ever end. Oh, this is great. And then you find yourself in a low spot. And then you start thinking, oh, what is wrong with me? Poor pitiful me. And you start getting all blue. It goes up and down. So Peter says, so what do you do when you get stuck? So how many chapters are in Second Peter? Three. three. So we're going to look up. There's, so we're just going to do three tonight. Three ideas that Peter has about what do we do when we get stuck. So in first or in Second Peter chapter 2, he wants to tell us the first idea he has is to remember your faith. To remember your faith. So you go to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Your translation may be a little bit different, but I think it's going to be pretty similar. 
Peter writes, he says, His divine power has granted to us... What's the next word? Everything. All things. Anybody have anything different behind everything or all? So he's saying, so what Peter's doing is, is he's saying, when you get in these moments and you find yourself stuck, when you get in these moments and you just feel like you're in a dry rut, when you feel like you just can't get any traction, you can't go anywhere, and you get frustrated and you get discouraged and you get your head down, when you get in those moments, remember your faith. So he says in verse 3, God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then from verse 3 all the way down through verse 4 he's explaining all of these things that God has granted to us. He's reminding them don't forget you have got all of these tools and all of these gifts and all these blessings that God has given you. Verse 5. Why? For this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. He says, remember, not only part of your faith is knowing what God has given you, but knowing that what God has given it to you for is so that you'll practice it. So that you'll actually use these tools that God has given you. The reason why God has given us a Bible is so that we can read it. The reason why God taught us how to pray is so we'd pray. And the reason why God has shown us these spiritual disciplines is because we have, we have to remind ourselves to practice them. So he says, remember your faith. Sometimes we forget of all the things that God has given us and we start to think that we're powerless. Or we don't have any options. Oh man, I, I have no hope. I have no, I have no opportunity. And he says, oh, you have all of these things because God has given you, verse 3, all things. So when you get in that moment where you're spiritually stuck, you're not stuck because God hasn't equipped you. You're not stuck because God has abandoned you. You're stuck, quite possibly, because you stopped practicing the things that God said to do in order to flourish in your Christian life. You stopped doing the things that he said to do, and that's why you're stuck. So in verse 15, Peter leaves them with this exhortation. This is Second Peter 1 and 5, verse 15. I will, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to recall these things. If you look back up above that, he says, starting in, uh, let's start there in verse 13, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ may clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure you may be able to recall these things. Peter's coming and he's writing to them and he's saying, remember your faith, and as long as I have an opportunity, I am going to continue to seek ways to stir you up. It's that kind of idea of keeping things agitated and keeping things worked up and keeping things moving. We have people in our society that they're really good at stirring up dissension. And they're really good at stirring up strife. And they're really good at stirring up animosity. And they're really good at stirring up gossip. And all of this division between people. Peter says we should be the kind of people that we are constantly stirring each other up in our spiritual walk before the Lord. It's not just the preacher's responsibility. That's not just a deacon's responsibility. That's all of our opportunities. So Peter says you get stuck. 
When you find yourself stuck, remember. Remember what God has given you. Remember the faith that you have. Remember the tools that you have. Remember the blessings that you have. And remember the way to continue to find success and find flourishing in this Christian life is not only to practice them, but continually stir yourself up. Keep yourself moving. Which is why they put posters up on the wall, and which is why they have little notifications, daily reminders, which is why some of you all have things hanging on your wall, verses or reminders to say, I want to continue to stir myself up. I want to continue to be reminded. So Peter says, the first, the first opportunity you have or the first tool that God has given you is to remember your faith. Chapter 2 says, the second way that we keep from getting stuck in this Christian life is we remember this is a this is a battle. And who are we battling against? Satan. And what does Satan use to battle against us? False prophets. False prophets. That's right. He, so he's so Satan is actively seeking ways to fake news us in a spiritual way. Satan is constantly doing that. So he says that um, before you get to chapter 2, look at chapter 1 and verse 20. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, be careful when you have someone that comes up and says, I have a new spin on Scripture that no one in the last 2,000 years have ever thought about or covered up and you say, where'd you get that from? Well, you know what? I just I just had a thought or I, I had a dream or I, I had something else that came in. We've got to be careful and you've got to be wise and you've got to be discerning. And he says, understand that when you are saying these things apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not speaking for the Lord. And we've got to be careful because there are very subtle ways that Satan uses to infiltrate us with deception and false teaching. So he says, be careful about those individuals that are like, oh, I've got some new word or I've got some fresh word. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even the diet denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now somebody tell me what you think when that says, just as there will be a false teacher. How do we define what is a false teacher? They don't preach the truth. Okay, so they don't preach the truth? It doesn't line up with Scripture. Okay. Okay. Devil in a suit. Devil in a suit. What if they preach half-truth? Still falsehood. Okay. What about what about three-quarter truth? Still? Still no? No? I mean, because I've got some boys that think if they do 75% of the work that I told them to do, they've done the work. I mean, so... It, just kind of, you know, where, where are we going to draw that line at? So, if, 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 and I'm not saying any ideas are wrong. So, if it's somebody that doesn't say things that line up in Scripture, or if you're saying somebody that doesn't speak truth, how will we know that that person is a false teacher? From our own Bible. From our own Bible? Okay. <laughs> so, then what does that require us to know? Studying your Bible, that's right. So the best the best defense that we have against false teachers 
is knowing what the Bible says so that we can counteract what's going on. So, so then follow the, the, follow the line of thinking. So if we know that we are being over, overwhelmed right now by a plethora, a, a variety of false teachers, not only on the television, but also on the computer screen, why is that? Because it's our own fault. Yes, but also because we have an overwhelming majority of people in the world today that say they know God, but they don't know God's Word. And so when you turn on the TV and you see, you may hear some of these things, you may think about some of these things, and you're like, oh my gracious, how could they do that? Because there's that many biblically illiterate people around. That frightens me. That frightened me on on how many individuals are out there that are not aware of what a false teacher is or the dangers of false teaching. So they say, okay, these false prophets, they also rose among you and there will be false prophets still today. But then Peter says, the false prophets, they don't just sit there and it says they secretly bring in destructive heresies. But they do more than that. If you look down there at uh, verse 13. Verse 13, I'm going to pick it up at the the next sentence. Um, As Peter is describing these false teachers, he's saying when you think about it, and it says there in the text, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. The context is he's talking about these false teachers. And he said these false teachers just don't run around in the shadows. These false teachers just don't run around where nobody sees them. These false teachers are flamboyant. These false teachers are out there. These false teachers are proud. These false teachers are loud. And these false teachers are not just reveling, which is to celebrate in the daylight, but they are feasting with you. Translation. We are in constant proximity to false teachers all the time. And if we're going to be in constant proximity to false teachers, we need to be on guard. And we need to be watching. And we need to be listening. And and I realize there's things maybe that you say, well, Spence, I'm just not worried about that right now. I've got these hobbies over here. I've got these desires over here. I've got these things over here. But we must be on guard. Because as Peter is describing it, you and I are constantly in proximity to false teaching. And the whole goal of false teaching is to deceive us, to get us to believe lies, and to distract us from where God wants us to be. And we've got to be careful of that. Why? Because one of the ways that we get stuck in this Christian life is we stop looking at God and we start looking at the false teachers. And as he warns them, so look there at 2 Peter 2 and verse 19, he warns them, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves. 20 years ago in my prodigal Sundays, The Sopranos was a big television show on HBO and um, that was my show so some of you all you know you have your show once a week that you sit down and you watch it and this was back before you could record in the DVR Um, this is back just in plain old Jane cable days and so uh, you know that time was there I my 
That was I was watching I was watching the Sopranos. And it got later on during the, the, the run of the show, and at one point, Tony Soprano, the main character, he's starting to have these panic attacks. So he decides, I'm gonna go see a, a, a psychologist. So he goes in there for therapy and he's sitting there and they're they're talking about their feelings and they're doing this and that and this and that and this and that. And then the next two or three scenes later, his therapist is at her therapist. That makes sense? So it's like she was supposed to be helping him with his problems and then the next day or that afternoon she is now in someone else's office who is helping her with her problems. And I'm thinking to myself, if she's that much help, then why isn't she helping herself? (laughs) Why is, and, and I don't mean this derogatory, but why is one shrink having to go to another shrink? To me, I'd find a different shrink if that shrink has to have a shrink. Because it just doesn't fit. And but, but, but we're still in that same cycle today. A lot of the stuff that we have going on right now when it comes to psychology or psychiatry is misdiagnosed spiritual sickness. Majority of it. And I know sometimes you push back and sometimes you, you kind of grumble at some of, the, some of the stance I take, but there is a lot of mental health issues that are spiritual health issues. But misdiagnosed. So you go to a psychologist, you go to a psychiatrist, and what are they going to do? They're going to talk to you. Why? Because you don't talk to people. Because all you're ever doing is looking at your phone. You don't have those connections. You don't have people that you can visit with. So they'll talk to you and you'll feel better because you talk to somebody. That's human. That's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. Or they'll provide medication. And now you get on medication and that might help you. But they haven't dealt with the root problem. Because when you walk out of there, you haven't, you haven't addressed the issue. Many times the issue is a spiritual sickness. A spiritual unwell. You're stuck in your spiritual life. And here in chapter 2, they said there's these false teachers out there that are saying, hey, listen to us, pay attention to us, and it's just a circular system. Going around and around and around. And verse 19 says they promised them freedom, but they themselves are Slaves. So you go to the car dealer and the car dealer says, you need a new vehicle? Oh, I absolutely do need a new vehicle. You know why you need a new vehicle? Because they are going to get you in that cycle of vehicle payments. And they're just going to have you going around and around and around and around and around. So as soon as you pay that vehicle off, you got to trade it in for another one. Or it just so happens the day you pay it off, you start having automotive problems. I mean, it's just kind of funny how these things happen. It's like every year when they introduce the new Apple iPhone, and all of a sudden the old Apple iPhones start having problems. All coincidental. I mean, it's one of those things because they get you in that cycle. So Peter says, be careful. Because the same thing comes with false teachers. They'll get you an idea that you keep needing them so that you keep feeling that emotion. And sometimes they do it with motivation. Joel Olstein is a very dynamic speaker. He's just a false teacher. T.D. Jakes, phenomenal at crafting and presenting illustrations. He's just a false teacher. Denise sent me a guy up in Tulsa. He's a phenomenal speaker and communicator. 
just don't agree with you. And, and that's the problem. Because a lot of these times, these people present themselves and you're drawn to them and you're intrigued in them because they make you feel good or because they encourage you or because they endear themselves to you. And so you are more drawn because of how they make you feel. Not because of the, God, the Word of God that they are showing you and helping you understand. And there's a big drawback to that. And sometimes we get stuck because we're more investing in how we feel and what people make us feel than what God's Word says. Second Peter says, be careful, be on guard. These false teachers are all around you. And if you give in and if you give sway to this false teaching, you'll find yourself spiritually stuck. Why do you think that is? It's not about God. Any other ideas? It's false teachers. Okay. But but why did but why does that cause you to get stuck? Because it's not the truth. Out of God's will. Okay. It's not the truth. It's not the truth. The earth is really muddy. The earth is really muddy. So and then the way I think about it is, is part of the reason we get stuck is we have starved ourselves of spiritual nourishment. So I mean Let's say all of us decide tomorrow that we're going to be, you know, just awesome people and we're just going to stop eating for seven days and we're going to go on a fast. You're going to get weak. You're going to get weak and you're going to get lethargic and you're going to get down. Why? Because you've starved yourself of the nourishment your body needs. So when you get, when you, when you, when you find yourself being distracted or deceived, a lot of times people don't even think about it. They don't even realize that they're just kind of drawn into the personality. They find themselves deceived. They find themselves distracted. When they find themselves in that spot, what they begin to do is they begin to starve themselves spiritually of biblical truth. And then they find themselves spiritually sick and weak. And stuck because they don't have the understanding or their spiritual strength to move out. So he says, Be careful. Be careful of the false teachers. And my stars today, it is so much easier. I don't think it's ever been easier in the history of humanity for you to be deceived. Influenced or the proximity. Because once upon a time you would have to read it. Once upon a time you would have to watch it on television. Once upon a time, you know, back when Or Roberts was in his heyday, you actually had to get up, walk across the living room, turn the knob, adjust the bunny ears and the tinfoil. Right? You had to do all that and then walk back and then sit down and watch the screen get all the lines and start moving. You had to get back up and you had to move it all back. So you had to put out a lot of effort if you wanted to watch Oral Roberts. And now you don't have to do any of that. Now all you got to do is when your phone goes ding, you push the button and it all does it for you. And now they're on social media. And they're sending out now the, the publishing. I mean, it is pervasive. We've got to be careful. So Peter says, remember, so how do you protect yourself from getting stuck? Remember what you have by your faith in God. Remember the proximity. Remember the false teachers that are all around you. And then here's this third one. Remember what is coming. Remember what is coming. 
So, verse three. I'm sorry, chapter three, verse four. So he says, verse one. This is the second letter I'm writing to you. I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And then in verse four, they will say, "Where is the promise of His coming?" So what are these false teachers doing? These false teachers are doing, oh, well, if Jesus is coming back, where is He? And so they start picking apart at your confidence in the Bible. You ever had people that try to ask you questions? Well, if the Bible is true, then what about this? What about this? And they're cherry-picking. And all they're doing is cherry-picking ideas, and they get us on the defensive, and they're like, oh, so you don't know the answer. Yeah, and neither do you. Oh, but that doesn't matter. They get you on the defensive, and next thing you know, you find yourself feeling bombarded, and you pretty much just be quiet, and they're like, oh, we won. Well, that's what they're doing right here. They're coming at these people there that Peter is writing to, and they're going, hey, you say Jesus come back, where's he at? All these things you say, how can we know that they are true? And Peter says, they come in with these false assumptions, assuming that they're the ones that determine the timing of God. And the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us who knows when Jesus is coming back. Not us. Not us. God. Only God. In fact, it tells us in Matthew that even Jesus doesn't know when He's coming back. That only God, only God knows. But these false prophets, not only in this setting, they're trying to say, oh, well, see, these things that you said were going to happen, these things aren't happening. Well, and today the same thing is happening where you have these people, they start eroding away and they start chipping at our faith. And they start chipping at what we are starting to do. I don't want to step on any toes in this room, but just this last couple of weeks, Andy Stanley... He's been heading to the left for some time, but Andy Stanley came out very supportive of homosexual lifestyles. It's a chip. Next thing you know, we get enough individuals that veer in that direction and enough people go in that direction and then you sweet people start to think, well, am I wrong? Am I legalistic? Am I being judgmental? Am I being, un, am I being unloving? Am I being unkind? We start to think these things. Why? Because one person after another person, one domino after another domino, starts to move and starts to shift. And the next thing you know, we find ourselves more isolated. And then we start to think, well, 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 well maybe, maybe we are wrong. Maybe we, we do need to compromise. Maybe we do need to capitulate. Maybe all these things. Well, that is what was happening in Second Peter chapter 3. And Peter's saying, they're going to come. They're going to chip away at your faith. And they're going to chip away at what is true. And they're going to chip away at what you hold dear. Verse, uh, no, no, no. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So he says, don't get caught up when they start chipping away and go, well, why hasn't He come back yet? And why hasn't this happened? We do not determine how God acts. But we do know that when God said it, God's going to do it. And a lot of times in our mind, in our thinking, well, He has, uh, He's only got three years, so He better hurry up. 
And God doesn't work on our time schedule. God doesn't work on our timeline. But God will work when He says He will work. So how does Peter explain and how does Peter encourage them to explain about the things that are going on? He said, no, listen, God is just giving you time to repent. So you wonder why this hasn't happened yet? Because God is still giving you more time to repent. Why hasn't God judged the United States for our immorality and rebellion against Him like He did Sodom and Gomorrah? Maybe because He's giving us time to repent. Why has God not just wiped out all sinful people that have turned away from Him and rebelled against Him? Denied His authority in their lives? Maybe because He's giving them more time to repent. And if God hasn't given upon them, we have no right to either. Peter says, remember what's going to happen tomorrow. He's coming back. Now these false teachers, these false prophets, they're going to keep chipping away and they're going to keep looking for holes. They're going to keep looking for ways to attack you and put you on the defensive. Then he says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and and, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. He said, Do not forget, Christian, that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back in a moment you do not expect. He's coming back at a time that you do not expect. He's coming back in a way that you will have not have foreseen. He is coming back. So what is it? What does he say in verse 11? Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So he says, if you get stuck, if you find yourself stuck, what do you do? You think about the faith that God has given me and the way that I exercise that faith. You think about, hey, when I'm stuck, am I stuck because I'm spiritually weak? because I've been spiritually starving myself because I've been more influenced by the false teachers around me than the the biblical truth that God has given me. And then that third way is to remember tomorrow. The false teachers are still going to be there. But it could be tomorrow that I'm going to stand before God to give an account. I am going to be ready. I am going to be prepared. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. So many years I spent on that drilling rig in the oil field. When you start off, usually you're working nights. <clears throat> and every morning at 5.15, Tommy King, our tool pusher, would wake up. And you'd see his light come on in his, tra- his trailer that he stayed in down there. 5.15, you see his light was come on. At 5.45, he was going to walk out that door. He was going to walk up the stairs, up to the drilling floor. And he was going to walk in the doghouse. And he was going to get a cup of coffee. And he was going to get a paperwork from the night before. And then he was going to walk back down the stairs, walk back down to his trailer. And he was going to do his morning paperwork. But when he walked in, he expected there to be a full coffee pot. And he expected for that floor to be mopped. And cleaned. He expected for the tools to be put up. He expected for that rig to be clean. And you knew when that light came on. I got 30 minutes tops. Now you've known for the last 11 and a half hours. That Tommy King was going to wake up at 5.15. And he was going to walk up these stairs at 5.45. You've known since you started this shift 11 and a half hours ago. This time was coming. And he would walk up them steps. And he would come in there and... He would walk in that door, he'd get his cup of coffee, and he'd look at the floor, and I'd be like, ah, 
<laughs> and he said, why haven't you jumped off the floor yet? But I did. No, it's not mopped. Mop it again. He'd take off down the steps. But every morning, every morning, you knew this was happening. And so what did you have an opportunity to do? You had an opportunity to be ready. So Peter's saying, you get stuck. You get stuck in your spiritual walk. Remember, remember that tomorrow could be the day. So you know what? That might provide a little motivation, a little incentive to get off of your blessed assurance and to get serving the Lord. Get off your blessed assurance, put down the television, put down the screen, pick up just a regular old-fashioned print Bible and start reading God's Word. Amen. Go find brother and sister in Christ and go talk to Him. Go spend some time with Him. You find yourself and you're blue and you're down and you're despondent and you just got the, uh, the, the downers. Get around some Christian people. Go talk to some Christian people. Read some, read some biblical word. He's saying, don't forget that tomorrow is coming. And sometimes we get in a spot where we just, we just find ourselves in a position of being stuck. And I think I'm probably the best one in the room at doing this. But you get stuck. And then you feel sorry for yourself. And then you feel like you're the only one. And then you feel like nobody cares. And somewhere along the way, you get that bottom loop out. <laughs> and you get that little bottom loop out like that. And you're just going, poor pill for me. Poor pill for me. Nobody cares about me. Poor pill for me. I'm the only one going through this. And you, and, and you, and you get in that spot. I worked at the school dairy farm at OSU for three years while I was going to school up there. You worked there for minimum wage, which is four twenty five, but you got free you got a free room while you're up there. So I milked cows for three years. Fed cows, bred cows, not personally, AI cows. <laughs> Bottle fed calves, all the things that you would think about goes on on just a regular standard dairy. And you get those cows and they go to cabin and they get down. And you would know that if they got down, if you didn't get that cow back up, every day she stayed down, you were your chances of her getting back up and doing something were going to keep going down. And sometimes they'd be on that old concrete and we'd be icy or slick and she would slip and she would go down and the first thing we would do is you got to get her back up. Why? Because when you get down, it's easier to stay down oftentimes than getting back up. And in our Christian life, when we get down, I'm not saying that's got to be the end of it. Putting that bottom loop out ain't going to help. <laughs> feeling sorry for yourself is not going to help. And feeling like nobody cares isn't going to help. And feeling like no one's ever gone through this before is not going to help. And feeling like God doesn't love you no more is not going to help. Feeling like you're, you, you just got the worst luck. And if you didn't have luck, you wouldn't have any. Or if you didn't have bad luck, you wouldn't have luck at all. All those things is Satan saying, stay down. Stay down. So when you get stuck, remember that tomorrow is coming. And get up. Dust yourself off. Find a way to comfort yourself in the Lord.
Remember the story? I think it's 1 Samuel, 10 of 1 Samuel. David's on the run from Saul. And he's on the run and Saul's chasing him around trying to kill him. And so David has found himself actually in the land of the Philistines. Remember? And he's in the land of the Philistines and actually serving one of the Philistine governmental leaders. And so the Philistines go to fight against the Hebrews. And so David, he's over here. He's pretty much just kind of sided with there because that was a place that Saul wouldn't chase him to try to kill him. So they get ready to go to battle. So David and his men get suited up and they are headed to go help the Philistines fight against the Hebrews. There was a whole storyline that's going on there. They get up there and the rest of the Philistine leaders are like, David, you're not fighting because we might get in the middle of battle. You might change your mind. So they're like, go back home. So David was like, oh, okay. So he and his men turn to go back home. And while they are headed back home in between leaving to go fight and now being told to go back home another enemy had come in captured the town Ziklag captured the women captured the children captured the livestock and took off and David comes back into town and all of a sudden they realize all of his mighty men with him they realize that their women have been taken the enemy has come and they are unhappy and when they get to town they look at their and oh I need to find it You're just going to take my word for it. I think it's second. I think it's First Samuel chapter thirty. Anyways, they come in there, and all of his men are mad. We left to go with you, and now our wives and children have been taken, and they're grumbling against David. And David's lost his family. He's lost his possession. His men are talking about killing him. Saul would love nothing else than to find him and kill him. <laughs> He's all alone. And it says in the text. That he, oh yeah, here it is. First Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul. Each for his sons and daughters. Now, if you want to talk about maybe a definition of having the blues, this would be the definition of having the blues. You talk about the definition of having your lip out, this would be the definition. Or some of you all just get in a moment that, that sometimes they classify as depressed or whatever. A lot of times it's just you're just spiritually dry. You're spiritually sick. And so what does this say? David didn't go to a doctor. He didn't go to the liquor store. <laughs> He didn't go to the dispensary. He didn't veg out on the couch watching gun smoke eating ice cream. Says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now I wish that I could tell you, well, let me give you three steps and let me give you four ideas and let me give you, let me give you uh, a quick fix remedy. We find ourselves stuck. The only hope, the only solution we have is God. So what do we do? Put our lip up. We get up. We get dressed. We open the blinds. We let some sunshine in. And we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Because we're 
going to get stuck. And we're going to find our time. We're going to find us in times that we're stuck. So remind ourselves. The blessing is a gift that God has given us. That's chapter 1. Remember remember that we're constantly being tempted to be deceived and distracted by the false teachers. And we need to be careful about um, finding ourselves. We're being more influenced by that. And we're just spiritually starved. And that's why we're stuck. And sometimes we're stuck because we forgot that not only does God have tomorrow, God is orchestrating tomorrow. And tomorrow could be the day that God sends Jesus back for us. We forget that tomorrow's coming. So I hope that the next time you find yourself stuck, you strengthen yourself in the Lord. If the next time you find yourself stuck and you're like, I just don't know where to go, every single Sunday, you open that bulletin up, every single Sunday, my phone number's in there. You know why my phone number's in there? Because at any time, well, preferably not in the middle of the night, but I will. I mean, you may have to call me three or four times, but at any time, if, if there's things that I can serve you in, if there's things that I can help you in, or if there's times that you just need to say, hey, Give me some ideas and some things that I could read to encourage myself. I, that's a privilege that I get to have. So my phone number is in there. So every time you get a bulletin, you, I've given you my phone number. And you can say, hey, I want to call him. Well then, well, then you can text him. Well, I don't want to text him on email. Well, good, because my email is right below the, the, the phone number. We're all in this together. We need each other. None of us are expected or created or meant to do this Christian life alone. None of us. So, when you get stuck and you feel alone, I'm just telling you, you got no one else's phone number in the room, you got mine. I don't mind. I'll come home. I'll come to your house and I'll open the windows. And I'll kick you out of bed. And I'll tell you, let's go outside. Let's get some fresh air. Let's talk about it. And let's read some Bible. I'll help. I'm out. I'll do whatever. not going to stay spiritually well if we're not strengthening ourselves in the Lord. So if we think that we're going to get spiritually well by something other than God, we're going to continue to miss the point. Alright, I'm done. Questions?